This episode of the CU Insight Experience is brought to you by Allied Solutions. With over 40 years of experience, our friends at Allied Solutions are focused on helping more than 4,000 clients grow their bottom line, protect their business and members, and evolve to stay ahead of the competition. Welcome to episode 138 of the show. My name is Randy Smith. I'm one of the co-founders of CUinsight.com, and I'm excited that you are all here today. This show is all about taking a deep dive with the leaders of the credit union movement that make it so great. Today, I'm having another conversation with Jill Nowacki, my love, my partner in life. Uh, Jill is also the CEO of Humanity and Her Work in beyond being my human. So uh, <laughs> you, you may have noticed over the years of listening to this show, many of the episodes that Jill has been on, the conversations come from ones that we are having at home. And I think to myself, that, that seems like a fun topic. And I, I stick a microphone in Jill's face. So with that, we will uh, jump right in. Welcome back to the show, Jill. Thank you. I always love being here with you. I enjoy these conversations. And this is a fun one. I knew the title of this episode, Yes or No, Jill and Randy, Yes or No, before I crafted a, a single question for you. So to start there, uh, if someone comes to you with an opportunity, an experience, what is your natural inclination? Is it to answer yes or no? It's yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that must leave me on the flip side of that. Since mine is, uh, how do I figure out a way to say no? And that, that is the... Uh, Probably the difference between you and I is uh, you being the, the extreme extrovert and me being an introvert that plays an extrovert on uh, the podcast. So this is so much fun. We, you know, we've crafted our lives to be lived very intentionally. This is why I thought this could be such a fun conversation. Uh, you know, a shared intentional life by two people who arrive at a similar place, but from different starting points and yes or no. So uh, a little bit of background on this. I, I mentioned you're an extrovert. Is that what you consider yourself? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm an extreme extrovert, which is very much from the the definitional where my energy is derived from. And so even if I'm not engaging with other people, I just like being surrounded in the busyness of other people. So I am more energized by being in a busy, noisy coffee shop than I am by sitting home quietly, for example. But I love what you just said, though, about like, we arrive at a similar place from a different starting point. And it brought to mind this visual. I don't know if you remember the family circus cartoon, or if you ever looked at it, where it's like, the child would be sent like on an errand and they would trace like with the dotted line where it went. Like, I feel like you're very much like a point A to point B person. And I'm point A to a bunch of different stops along the way and like get all the things done and then get back to point B. So it kind of, I was like, do we arrive at a similar place? I'm like, yeah, I guess we both do. But, <laughs> but my journey may have a few more sidetracks along the way. <laughs> a, a few more stops. We, I, I know you've told many of our friends and sometimes it surprises them that the difference between, and we always use GAC as the example, right? You come home from GAC and you're like, what more can we do? Where are all the people? And I come home from GAC and I lay down on the couch for about three days and just watch Netflix and don't want to talk to a single person. So yeah, there's the, the difference of us. You know, we did a, a whole episode on being intentional, but what, what does living an intentional life look like for you both personally and professionally? And I guess I could say the same thing, ask the same question of myself after. So <laughs> yeah. So living an intentional life to me, it looks like, you know, some years ago, 
quite a few years ago, I stopped indicating that I had any desire to have work-life balance. And I talked a lot about wanting to have work-life integration and that desire to see like, how much can I fit in to this this space that I'm in. And intentionally though, not kind of like a, oh crap, I got to the end of the day and I was busy all day, but I don't know what I did. But something that is really that, like for me, intentionality is figuring out how to structure my life in such a way that I can say yes to a lot of things, that I can bring a lot of things in. And so it's looking at how can I spend the summer in Bonaire with you and Crosby and also be engaged with the the work events that I'm excited and energized by being in person with. And so there's a lot of pieces that I have to put in place with that. And if I'm not intentional with that, I can't do that. But I do feel like that intentionality lets me maximize that ability to do all the things. So what about you? How does that look like for you? The intentionality is doing what, you know, I'm going to steal a a term from the very beginning of the conversation that you and I had many years ago, that like being intentional is doing things that light me up or the term that I had used at the time was what makes me feel alive. And and these are terms that I journal on as prompts, but it's that idea of creating for me, it's creating space. And I think this is where my no comes in (laughs) to saying no to things. It's kind of that idea of it's not a hell yes, then it should be a no. And I kind of start with the no. I, I like to have a lot of open space so that I, can say yes to those opportunities that light me up and make me feel alive. And if my calendar gets full, it creates an anxiety for me where I'm like, well, what if there's an opportunity to go to Poland for a few days or to go to Bonaire and not be busy, but be present in that situation? So to me, living an intentional life is doing more of what lights me up and less of what doesn't. And having the capacity or the strength or maybe the self-realization to say no to other things because of that, if it, it doesn't fall into that. I, I you know, there, there's a question that I wanted to ask you <laughs> is, is there a struggle that comes from saying yes too often? And I feel like my questions are leaded because I come from a different, <laughs> state, you know, I mean, so it's like, maybe I can, I could also ask you, is there something amazing that comes from saying yes all the right. time? You know? so, so. <laughs> Because you're a logistical ninja, right? Like, so. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the struggle that comes with it is that. So, I listen to you talk, and you talk about making sure you have this space there, so that if something comes up that surprises you, that's amazing, that you have the ability to say yes to it because you have that you have the space there to make that decision at the time. And so, I do hear the value in that, and like, so putting this into perspective. You know, because I've said yes to our trip to Africa this fall, which I'm delighted by and had to plan ahead for, and that blocks out, you know, three full weeks, I am in a place where I'm having to say no to some professional opportunities because I can't be in Africa and in Delaware at the same time, for example. And so there is that kind of, in this case, I'm able to, it, my first instinct is to be like, ah, oh, bummer, I'm having to say no to things. But to be able to stop that and say, all right, but the thing I've said yes to is what I would choose. The impact of what that is, the opportunity that's there, the experience that is, is is fantastic. So that's kind of the small scale version of it where it's, I look at what you're saying about this concept of like, if you leave this space, then you don't know what kind of surprise thing you get to say yes to. On the other hand, and this is what is kind of more of the double-edged sword for me. So 
this past week is a great example where I said yes to all of the things. So, you know, we had Crosby's birthday and then we had Crosby's birthday party and then I had a planning session and then I had to get back in time for Crosby's graduation. And it's like, if I don't leave any slack in there, then I get to do all six of the things I want to do. But sometimes other like external factors interrupt my perfectly laid plans. And because there's no, there's no space in there, I end up feeling really anxious. So when I get an email, together, from, Delta. <laughs> when I get an email from the airline, that's like, your flight is delayed two hours. And I'm like, I don't think you understand that I gave myself exactly 17 minutes of cushion, not <laughs> hours of this. <laughs> then it is like a, Oh, if I had said, what is the, what is the one thing that's most important for me to be at and say no to everything else, then I wouldn't have the opportunity to do all six things, which ultimately this situation ended up okay. Like I did not learn my lesson from it because I still got to be in all the places. <laughs> but, um, but if it hadn't worked out, then I may have been faced with some regret to say, well, all of those things that were maybe a, a level seven of importance to me. I could have said no to knowing I was going to like that. I would have missed out the thing that was a level 10 importance to me from that. A couple of things of what Jill mentioned there, the, the trip to Africa that we're taking in the fall happens to be with a group of credit union friends uh, who are climbing Kilimanjaro for awareness and to raise funds for the Akaska Academy. So that is going to be an insane experience. <laughs> 18,000 plus feet. We'll see how we breathe. The planning session this week was actually CU Insights. So I'm feeling all lit up from that. You did a fantastic job facilitating for us. And I, I am so excited to see what the future holds for the Lauren and the team there for sure. I, I do want to ask this before we kind of maybe get into some life hacks. But when, when you hear the word space, you mentioned, I mentioned it already, you've mentioned it. When you hear that, what does that mean to you? I love this question because I've said to you before, like, oh, I need some space. I'm going to go out and do a three mile run. And 30 minutes later, I'm like, okay, fine. I got my space. And like, let me let you put this in your own words. If you tell me you need some space, what, what is it that you usually have in mind from that? Oh, probably go uh, wander around a country by myself for a few days. It's uh, right. just go walking with, <laughs> with my AirPods in that probably right. have nothing playing on them just so people don't talk to me. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I need some space. And 30 minutes later, I'm like, okay, I'm good. And you're like, wait, did you leave? Like, I didn't even notice you were gone. <laughs> like, <right>? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, the difference of us, yes. <laughs> so, so when I say, oh, I need space, like when I get into that point where it's like I'm really feeling stretched and I'm like, I need to get this space here. For me, that's most often time that is not scheduled for meetings. When I hear space, I think room for my brain to play. Like it's the the chance for my my mind to wander to like I am most excited when I am developing strategies, when I'm playing with new ideas, when I'm sitting down and just writing without time limits or restrictions or word counts that I'm trying to meet. And so when I've given myself that space and I actually use it for the purpose intended, it means that I'm I'm strategizing. So my challenge is when I'm not at my best with that. You didn't ask this question, but I'm gonna go ahead and just give this to you. So, <laughs> when I'm not at the best, even if I have like say I've said, okay, I'm gonna have four hours of focus time today or I'm gonna have this meeting free day. 
if I have not prepared myself mentally for that space, I'll manage to fill that time with like things that are not truly space. So they, it's not for me, it's not just not having the meeting or not having the commitment. It's also making sure that when there is that place, my, my mental space is prepared to play in the space instead of to be like, oh, well, I don't have a meeting. So I guess that means I can do laundry and clean out the refrigerator and like all these other things that are <laughs> tasks that, that are not that space to really play creatively. I'll, I'll just add this about myself. Like for me, and I think this is another one of those areas that the way our brains work is is different. It's a beautiful thing. But it's like for me, I if I don't feel like I have that space, I never know where my monkey mind is going to go. So it's that idea of like creating space for myself that I my mind can just be free and it can go down whatever rabbit holes it feels that day uh, or that moment or that couple hours in the morning of time or whatever it happens to be. So yeah, that's interesting. Have you developed any like, I guess, hacks to create that balance to make sure, you know, I, I use the analogy of the buckets, you know, like that one isn't overflowing and the other one's empty. But is there anything that you've developed to make sure you don't fill that time you create for yourself where you can think and write and be strategic to not fill up with tasks. There have been times in my life when I've been better than others, <laughs> like <laughs> times when I've been more successful than others. And right now I'm, you know, we're coming off this wild week and of like a lot of major milestones right now in the, like this, this time period we're in and I look at it and it's just so all of the life transitions that Crosby is making right now is calling me to need to be more present as a mom to, to be there and celebrate with him on these things, but also to sort of guide and make the decisions about the next step. This elementary school to middle school transition, this is real. Like this is a big deal. Like he's, you know, he's leaving the school he's been to for the last six years. And then there's a whole another thing with puberty that I'm still trying to figure out and stuff as far as life transitions and whatnot with that. So the, the, the mom need is higher right now. Like if you look at it like a bucket, so it's like almost like, okay, the, the bucket for me needing to like actively mom feels a little bigger than some of the other buckets. Now that said, it's shocking to me, but like, this summer is the three-year anniversary of the founding of humanity. So three years feels like a long time. Like it's shocking to me that it's been that long, but it's still, it's still a company that it's in its infancy. You know, my team members have an average tenure. Like, I mean, fortunately, Frida has been with the company for a long time. She started on the O'Rourke side, but like no one else has worked for the company for longer than three years. And most people have worked for the company for closer to like one year. So it's a, it's still such an, I mean, it's still a startup in some ways from that. And so that feels like a, that feels like a bigger bucket than usual too, compared to like in those roles where I've been the leader of an established company that has 85 years of history and processes and practices in place that have kind of been sort of like continuous over time. So those things are both that that parenting call and that, you know, building a company call. They're so exciting and they're so like, and they're energizing for me, but it probably hasn't left like that, that me bucket maybe feels a little bit smaller as far as the like, oh, let's take time to write and to work on my fitness and to like, see where my creativity leads me. So 
there have been times in my life that have been different. When I made the transition over to humanity, for example, I gave myself space then just to be like, what is it that I really want to do? Where is it that I really want to go? So that's a really long and rambling way to use you as therapy and simultaneously (laughs) um, um, to, to talk about how, I guess for me, the balance comes in. If I'm trying to say, okay, this month, I spent this much time on parenting and this much time on work and this much time on me. So I achieved balance. That doesn't work for me. I have to be able to look at it as like a whole life and be able to say like, all right, this is the season of my life where like, I need to be all leaned into this. Like six years from now, that won't be maybe not six years from now. Cause I'm sure the high school to, to college transition is going to be wild too but like (laughs) there's gonna be a point in the not too distant future where the daily mom demand is much lighter than than what it is today and so like kind of knowing all right there's gonna be another time there's gonna be another season that that looks more focused on me and creating and that space is I guess that's enough for me to feel like that's that's balance in it so you've mentioned three years of humanity it's been amazing to be a a fan and uh, be able to watch you grow this. It's a beautiful company you've created that does so much for credit unions. Humanity. It has human in the name. <laughs> so you, you work with a lot of credit unions. When you think of all the different people who make up any given organization, is there something you often have to coach the leaders up on or something many leaders struggle with while they're you know managing all the different people of our organization? Let's just say the different personalities and the way we're made up. So I think humans struggle with feeling, how do I say this in a way? Because it's not like, I'm not like, oh, we have a bunch of low self-esteem individuals like out there running around. That's not, that's not what I'm intending to say. It reminds me of like, you know, when, when people are in their like twenties or thirties and they're looking around and being like, am I really, should I really be trusted with all of these adult decisions? <laughs> it's like, like, am I like, I'm not a real adult. I'm sort of an imposter adult. But I think that in, in our worlds, I think so often that humans have this sort of natural tendency to look around and be like, well, gosh, it seems like everybody else has this figured out. And I don't know if I have all of the answers. And and frankly, those people who are running around being like, I do have all of the answers are probably the ones who need the most coaching um, in that case. But so the reality is that I think this idea of like working with all of these people in the space and getting people really comfortable with the idea that collaboration bringing others in in order to make the best decisions is an area of strength and not an area of weakness. And so like if in this situation, you know, whether it's a leader or it's a team member or it's a candidate for a job who's looking for the next step in their career, it's okay to say like, this is an area where I would want more feedback from others. This is an area where I am not the sole decision maker, the only one who does that. And, um, you know, especially, especially in the DEI space, the work we're doing with understanding equity and issues around that, that ability to say, I don't know all, I don't have all the answers. I know my way of doing things, but there may be other ways that are better. And feeling like as a leader of an organization, that demonstrates stronger human skills rather than that, you know, demonstrating weakness, I think is something that maybe academically a lot of us know, but 
when faced with the reality of the situation, we still want to put up those guards and be like, look how shiny and happy I am. Like, look at my, <laughs> look, look at the greatness that is me. And in reality, when we're able to, to let some of that down a little bit, we end up having more authentic interactions that really do come up with better solutions and better results from that. So there's something I mentioned that we just this week wrapped up our strategic planning for CU Insight, which you facilitated. And we were all together and had the whole team together in Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, there was something about what you said. It, like I, I left that so excited, but proud. And some of the questions that you asked to hear the answers about like what the different humans on our team need. Like one of the things kind of reflection that had me smiling this morning while still thinking about it was this idea of to watch the way the team has grown into so much more collaborative and so much more to bringing their whole selves to work. And I give Lauren a lot of credit as the leader over the past three years that bring that, but also the work that we've continued to do with you and humanity as our facilitator, coach, partner in CU Insight. But it was such an interesting thing for me to sit back now three years in from the way that we were such a founder-driven company. And so it was kind of like everybody three years ago just looked at, well, what does Randy want to do? And he'll tell us, and that's what we're going to do. And I probably did not leave a, a much room for input. So to now sit there and like you asked the question of the entire group, and I really just felt like kind of a, I felt lucky to be almost a fly in the wall listening to this. But it was like, what do you need to feel like you can have a successful career at CU Insight? You know, that idea of what does this look like from an organization standpoint, but also from a team standpoint, and also from a personal standpoint, right? Like that that personal balance, and it was. For me, it was so much fun to sit and listen and figure out how to make those, you know, steps to make sure that that's available for everybody. So, yeah, I mean, talking about from an organizational standpoint, that's just something that's top of mind right now since we just experienced it. But it, that some of the questions you asked that we could do a whole show on those because I thought they were so insightful on to bring the individuals out of everybody on our team. Randomness, but. I do have something else that we were having a conversation about recently, and this may seem like a pretty hard pivot, probably would have uh, been a better pivot from when you did bring DEI into the conversation. But um, this was something that you educated me on more recently. And this idea of, or not the idea of, but what is the minority wealth gap? And I found it interesting because, you know, like even in the CU Insight planning, we talked about what more we can do to connect to the credit union communities and the members and the, I mean, the communities that we, we live and serve in, you know, as a whole. But like, is there an opportunity for credit unions to serve our communities better and take a, like, maybe have the ability to take that front line, put that effort in to reduce the minority wealth gap? Yeah. So, the racial equity gap or the racial wealth gap, how it would be defined is the the difference, the disparity between like black households, white households, Hispanic households. And so for so the wealth gap, we're really talking about the assets owned from that. There's also an income gap, which is a separate issue that contributes to the equity of it. But when we talk about wealth, because it's, it's possible that credit unions might say, well, the income gap that's not really the space we're in. Like it's a problem and we care about our communities, but the wealth gap, it's something like two thirds of wealth is determined by home ownership. So home ownership rates are a huge contribution to that wealth gap, to that asset gap that's there. And clearly credit unions, it, it, it is not 
it is not hard to connect those dots between credit unions and their role in offering affordable mortgages and and who's being approved for that. So what can be regarded or in that situation, so many times I think financial institutions will say, well, we have these credit reports and we have these underwriting strategies and we don't discriminate. Either you qualify or you don't. But when a credit union, when the when the leaders of a credit union can trace this back, they can see systemic flaws that have contributed to the situation that we are in. So as recently as like 08, 09, the housing crisis, statistically, Black families were far more impacted by like predatory lending. And so this is something that then creates those challenges. And so with credit unions, I think often, you know, credit unions are great at financial education, for example. Well, financial education does not stop systemic inequity that's existed for a long time. And so I think that where credit unions really need to to look or really can look is by saying, how do we bring in our communities in the true understanding of the problem, design of the products and solutions and move forward with that? And we are still not seeing that type of representation and involvement from people from the communities in developing the solutions. And so I think it's a huge conversation that credit unions should be having. It's it, it's a conversation credit unions have to have if they're serious at all about financial well-being for all. And I know that's a whole like, let's let that be the end of my TED talk. I'll get off my soapbox because I know that's not the, the purpose of this. But I think it's really important to talk about because where it ties in with a lot of the DEI work I do is that there's still a reality that you know, white people, and I'll say three years ago, I was like, ooh, I'm probably not your your race expert. I'm still not an expert on race. I think there's a lot of it going on racism. But we have to be comfortable having those conversations about race. And I think it's still something that we don't necessarily, I don't know who this we is that I keep referring to, but like, um, <laughs> like I, I think there is still a lack of discomfort in really having conversations about race in our businesses. But if we don't, then we will fail to really address the things like the racial equity gap, which is something that credit unions as community organizations, as people organized for their communities, as concerned about financial well-being, has to do. Absolutely. Good stuff there. I have a couple of questions. These are actually questions because we live in the same house and we both work from home uh, that really come from overhearing conversations that you're having with folks day to day. The first is about existing leadership teams and that idea of like, how can you build a strong leadership team and a board for that matter that is diverse, both in individuals, but but then also, you know, the ideas that they're willing to bring to the table. Like, to me, this is one of those conversations that I hear you have so often from I mean, the work that you do with humanity. Intentionality, I guess. So going back to that word from the beginning of the conversation, right? Like, we must be intentional. The country's demographics are changing. So we will continue to see increasing diversity. If we just wait, we'll see that diversity increase. There are more multiracial people. There are more people of color living in our communities today than there were 50 years ago. We will continue to see the demographics of the country change and therefore the diversity will change that way. Where the intentionality comes in though is being able to not just say, all right, well, we have different demographics represented now in our board or on our leadership team, but let's keep doing things the same way. And what that will often do is to say, 
well, sure, you can join our board and this is the way we do things. And if you want to be part of it, you will assimilate to the way we are doing things. And then you lose that value that really comes from the diversity and from the different perspectives. So the the kind of what can you do to make sure the ideas still come, you have to really seek out and create that structure and those systems. You know, ask that, like, when you look at your processes, there's something, it's called, I, I've heard it most often referred to as the equity question. And it's looking at something and saying, who will this, who will this, who will benefit from the way we do this and who may unintentionally be left out of the way we do this. So if, for example, you're like, our board meetings are four o'clock on a Tuesday, like on the surface, that may not seem discriminatory or exclusive. But if you really stop and say, who benefits from a board meeting at four o'clock on Tuesday? Well, anybody who's not working a full-time job, anybody who doesn't have school-age children at home that they're trying to take care of. And so that does kind of, if you, and then if you say who, who does this leave out? You're starting to carve out. So boards often complain this is a, about not having enough young people on their board. If you want to reduce the age of your board members, four o'clock on Tuesday is not when your board meeting should be, right? And so, um, like, and so those kinds of, of being able to say diversity is not just enough. We really have to dig in and look at the systems, the structures, ask ourselves, what are we doing that may be unintentionally favoring or unintentionally leaving out certain groups? And how can we change that? You know, how can we even change things like the processes of recruitment? So if we're recruiting by, we're recruiting new board members or new executives primarily by word of mouth, recognizing that that's going to create a fairly limited scope of who we're reaching because who we're going to reach is people who are in our current social circles. And statistically, those people in our social circles are people who we share many common characteristics, traits, even values and ideas with. So that kind of the question is like, how do you build that stronger diversity and get those ideas in intentionality, but not just, you can't just build the diversity in, you have to bring in the equity in order to create that inclusive environment too. And I know that's something on the recruiting side of your humanities business, right? Like that you're intentional on the pools of candidates that you bring forward as well, you and your team. The, the second question that I really had was, you know, I often hear some wonderful sounding conversations when you're coaching individuals. Uh, so, and I'm like, oh, that's smart. I like that. Uh, but uh, People are going to be starting to send extra NDAs, by the way. Like, I'm going to get an NDA yeah, right, for humanity. Yeah. And then also, like, a, could you have Randy sign this, too? <laughs> Put on his noise-canceling headphones. So, uh, I, I don't talk to anybody. No, so, no. It, it goes back to that introvert thing. I, I, and I also have a terribly short memory. So it's, you only hear uh, it's my side of the conversation. Story. You don't know who I'm talking to. That's true. <laughs> I have no idea who you're talking to, but um, yeah, but anyways, that's funny. The second question does come from the coaching though. Like what advice do you have for people when you're talking to them and, and for the folks who aren't lucky enough to have you as a coach? Uh, what, what are like for somebody who wants their seat at the table? What advice do you have? That's a big question. But. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge question. And, and it varies significantly from person to person. If I'm coaching somebody in this way, you know, each of those individuals is bringing their own unique challenges, obstacles, opportunities, traits, skills, and all of that. Um, A general piece of advice that I think is very appropriate in this particular environment is tied to really, oh, I'll use a a line that I used a few years ago. Um, It's making sure that you're actually looking for a seat at the table 
where you want to dine from that menu. Because I think that in this particular environment, it is still a job seekers market and employees have the ability to be selective about the choices they make. And even considering all of the awareness that has been raised, there are, and this is especially true maybe of my my younger, like under 45-year-old candidates who I'm talking to, who are looking at the organization that they can make a home for 10 plus years going forward. Don't be shy about those questions. You Like I've had candidates who have said, I really want to ask this question about the organization's true commitment to diversity or this area of like, what was the organization's stance on why don't they observe Juneteenth as a holiday or something to that effect? And then like, but I'm afraid if I ask that question, it may turn them off. They may see me as too much of an advocate. And so in this environment, for the most part, my advice has been like, ask those questions in the interview process because you want to make sure that you are targeting a seat at the table that you actually want to sit at. And like, <laughs> you want to be there. And, and, yeah. And if this isn't the one, if this organization is, you know, about performative allyship or or no performance at all, just is about the bottom line and the numbers, that's not going to work for today's top talent. And today's top talent doesn't need to make a decision that they get in on six months later or like, oh, crap, I shouldn't have made that decision. Like, it's not an environment that requires that right now. So, Absolutely. So just looking at the time here, so we've got to start wrapping this up and but the good part for everybody out there who's enjoying this is they know you'll be back at some point soon. So, <laughs> so you're my favorite guest. I just thought it was <laughs> so, But it wouldn't be the CEO Insight Experience with some rapid fire questions. So I made some new ones for you. We'll link to your other episodes of the show. So if people uh, you know, want to hear anything real quickly, any books that you're currently reading, one or two that you think people should pick up that we can link to? Right now, while I while I run, I'm listening to Brené Brown, Atlas of the Heart, which I'm sure is probably pretty pretty well known, well heard of. What I love about it is she's really into talking about identifying feelings and emotions. And when you're talking about emotional intelligence, it's like the average person can identify something like three feelings, like happy, sad, mad, and like if you in fact can identify the wealth of emotions that is possible. When we can talk about things and we can name things, we can address things. And so that's true of everything in the world. Uh, so why I think it's so important we talk about race, but it's also really important when we can talk about our own feelings uh, from that emotional intelligence perspective. If I could give you some space on the calendar <laughs> that, you, that you didn't expect, what are you thinking about right now that you would like to dig into more? Like, what's that topic that you want to learn more about currently? Oh, gosh, there's so many. And so this is why I know I really need to find that space because there's so many places where I really want to play more. Um, but I think for me right now, I think it's this desire of like, how do we actually strengthen our minority depository institutions to really create systemic solutions that start to put credit unions as leaders in closing the racial wealth gap? It's why it's why it's a conversation around our house that I'm having at like 11 o'clock at night, but that's not the right time for me to be trying to solve that problem. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last one really quick, and then we got to wrap this thing up. This is one I've just added and I thought it would be fun to ask you. Is there something that you're unreasonably cheap about? 
I mean, unreasonably cheap makes that sound like such a values judgment, Randall. But um, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, like it's I, me shopping sales at the grocery store. Like I go up and down the aisles and want the sale products, right? I so, have mm. a probably a stronger than necessary objection to punitive fees, especially <laughs> if I don't think they're my fault. So this whole like, you know, parenting a middle schooler and I'm like, we have to accept accountability and consequences for our actions. But when something happens that I'm like, no, no. So as the the condo association stopped processing the fee the way, and I'm like, I'm not paying that $10. Like, can I afford $10? I can. But like, objectively, I'm like, no, this is not. <laughs> so I will spend hours of my time fighting this punitive fee because it feels like injustice. And I'm like, you can't just go around willy nilly charging fees on people without, you know, so, so I, I think, uh, I think punitive fees are my, my sword I'll, I'll fall on. <laughs> so. oh, there you go. I, I love it. And I did see you get worked up about that. So, um, so thank you so much again, Jill, for being on the show. I know if people have additional questions for you, you're uh, very active on LinkedIn. Email, we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Is there a final thought? We've got about one minute, so I apologize. We got so excited talking about stuff <laughs> that you'd like to share. Gosh, I don't know. All my thoughts came out. So this is this is how you can tell I'm a I'm a real extrovert. Is like I don't know what I think until I start talking. Sometimes, so I <laughs> I don't know. Do I have a final thought? Yeah, my final thought I'm going to share is just uh, look for those opportunities to be good to yourselves right now. I think we're moving into the summertime season. I think that's a good reminder for all of us to to do the things that help us feel better and to recognize that when we do take that space to take care of my, ourselves, despite how small I said that bucket feels right now for me, that's how we show up better for those of us around us and can come up with those better solutions too. So that's my final thought. Do something nice for yourself. We will link to everything we talked about today in the show notes. Thank you again so much for being here today. A few things before we go. Make sure to check out Allied Solutions in the show notes. I'm grateful for their support of the podcast and allowing me to have this much fun doing what I do and getting out of these conversations with Jill and all the others around credit union land. So please also subscribe to the CU Insight experience on your favorite podcast players. We are on all of them. And if you're looking for the book Jill mentioned or any other book mentioned on the show, a quick Google search of the CU Insight Experience podcast book list and you can have your next read on its way from Amazon, your, your summer read. Stock up. Certainly. Last but not least, I want to thank all of you for listening. Y'all rock, and I appreciate all the kind words that come in about the show. I, I hope you are all well and enjoy your summer, and I look forward to seeing you again in person soon. Have a great day, everybody. 